you know, I think that we have to, uh, that has just become one of my favorite songs. Because fear is the enemy of faith. It's just the absolute enemy of faith. And yet it overtakes us sometimes, doesn't it? You ever been overwhelmed by fear? A little bit of anxiety in life, huh? You know, there's all kinds of advertisements about things you can take, but the consequences and the side effects are incredible um, when it comes to that. So let's pray that God will give us faith to replace that fear. Have you ever had somebody butter you up in a conversation? You know what I'm talking about? They just kind of show up. Have you ever had that happen? They just kind of show up and they're talking about how good you are and some of the great things that you do. And you just know what's coming, don't you? You know what I'm talking about? You know what's coming. There's something coming. There's, there's something they want to tell you or there's something that they need. Um, I, I really struggle. Probably texting help more than anything, but I've always struggled asking for anything. I feel like you've got to have a 10-minute conversation before you get there, you know? But all of a sudden, there's that shift, isn't there? There's that, maybe the long sigh or the pause. Something happens, and all of a sudden, since I have you on the phone. Hey, I don't know if you knew that da-da-da is happening. Or, and, and then there's that switch, isn't there? Did you know that that exists in the Bible, too? There are times, Paul is probably the best at this. Paul will go through this long list of great things, but then all of a sudden he'll make the shift. It usually starts with some kind of a conjunction, like the word but, okay? Or the word therefore, you know? You ever notice that the word therefore shows up in the book of, in Paul's books pretty often? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He's explained all these things, and all of a sudden in verse 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, right? We're at that point. Paul has spent three chapters explaining to us the absolute enormity and gloriousness that is grace. In fact, the list looks something like this. It's glorious, it's enlightening, it's empowering, it's living, it's uniting, it's ministering, and it's enabling. He's told us all about all those things that grace is. And now we're at the therefore. But I know that you haven't all been there for all the weeks. And so I'll probably wait till the end of the service. I've actually created a summary of all three chapters. They give you key passages that go along with each one and the key ideas that we learn together to kind of have as a picture of this glorious grace. But we're at the therefore people. We're at that point where now he's going to shift. Because grace is so glorious, it's so, in, it's so immense, it's huge in its impact. Now he brings the therefore in. And the therefore is this. Therefore, walk. Okay? 
In other words, I've given you great information, and now I want it to affect how you live. We do this as parents, don't we? We give our kids great information. Sometimes we go around the mountain. Sometimes we go over the mountain. Sometimes we're direct. Sometimes we're indirect. But there's a therefore often that goes along with that, that all of a sudden, in light of that, would you please clean up the bathroom, right? Would you please take that mail carton? I know there's a little tiny bit left at the bottom, but would you just drink it and put it in the recycling bin? Would you do that? Paul is making the switch where he's saying, okay, now that you understand the immense and enormity of grace, I I want it to affect how you walk out your life. Therefore, walk. And it's interesting because as we go through chapters 4 and 5, he's going to use the word walk like five times. He's going to talk about different aspects of what it means to walk out grace. And then in chapter 6, he goes, therefore, stand. Okay? Now, uh, I want you walking, but there are some times that you just need to stand. In fact, one of the verses says this, and when you've done all else, stand. But let's start. Therefore, walk. It starts in chapter 4, verse 1, and this is what he says. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, it's interesting. We know that he's in jail, but he doesn't say as a prisoner of the Romans. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, as a prisoner of the Jews, he doesn't say that. As a a prisoner of this king or this group of people, he says, as a prisoner of the Lord. See, walking worthy is what he's going to talk about today. A part of this reality is, is that we have to come to the point where we trust that no matter what circumstances that we're in, that Jesus is still the Lord. That he's not taking a nap. That he's not being quiet. I read an interesting quote this week. It says, your numbness has nothing to do with God's silence. Isn't that good? He's telling them, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, because the Lord has placed me in this place, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the first idea of walking is we're supposed to walk worthy. You know, um, at Grace's graduation, there weren't many kids slinking down the aisle to receive their diploma. there was a sense that, you know, there was a confidence on that day. I haven't seen many women on the day they get married walk hesitantly down the aisle. I've seen the fathers dragging their feet. (laughs) But I'm not sure I've seen the brides dragging their feet. Paul is telling us that there's a confidence that we can have in our walk. 
that we can walk worthy. You know, Satan's constantly trying to take that away. You know, that song, he makes us a slave to fear. So all of a sudden, you know, there are people not showing up to church. Why are they not showing up to church? They're not showing up to church because they don't think they're worthy to be here. Well, welcome to the crowd. None of us are worthy to be here, right? But he's telling us that there should be a confidence that we can have in our relationship with Christ. And that's based on all those graces and the expanse of grace. Because of that, that's why we walk with worthiness. It's not because of anything we've done. It's because the immensity of what God has done. And so he says we need to walk worthy. And the first part of walking worthy is we need to walk with thoughtfulness. Now, when he talks about this idea of thoughtfulness, he says this, walk with all humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another. And so he's using four words to describe this thoughtfulness. Humility in the Bible is the overwhelming the overwhelm, to be overwhelmed by the reality of personal weakness and sinfulness. That's what humility is. That's why, what does it say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. We're supposed to walk with humility. Because see, it's not that we're not walking because we're awesome. We're walking because he's awesome, right? There is this sense that there is this grace that he's given us and we walk in the humbleness that we are a sinner that's been saved by grace. So we walk in humility. The second thing it tells us to do is it tells us to walk in gentleness. Gentleness is a submission to God's desire and the group's needs. It's a form of self-control that's really interesting. Gentleness is a self-control that's meek. Meek doesn't mean weak. Meek means I'm strong, but I am placing other people over myself. I'm thinking beyond myself. With patience is interesting because this word patience in the original language spoke of living without vindictiveness. Have you ever been in line behind the person that has 20 items in the 14 or less fewer aisle. And there is a sense of vindictiveness. Have you ever been in a hurry to get somewhere and all of a sudden there are two lanes and a person goes into the other lane and they decide to go exactly the same speed as the other person, and so you are not gaining any time, and you're looking at your GPS, and you're trying to shave down the minutes. Have you ever done this? You know? Who are they? Don't they understand? There's a vindictiveness that comes out of us at times, isn't there? It's, it's in opposition. It kind of goes along with, oh, I don't know, blessed are the peacemakers so thoughtful living is about humility and gentleness and it's about bearing with one another the word actually in i believe is the king james is the word forbearance isn't that a good word in modern language that's the 
putting up with one another. You see, walking worthy is a walk of thoughtfulness. And it's a walk that all of a sudden is living selfless, not thinking of itself, but thinking about its God and thinking about the needs of other people. It's like there's a scale. And as we learn to walk worthy, we move away from entitlement. We all know entitlement, don't we? I deserve, this is what I should get, this is how I should be treated. Doesn't everybody understand that this is the way we do things? It walks away from that. The worthy walk walks towards selflessness. Because of the grace that we've received, that we do not deserve, we can move from entitlement to selflessness. When instead of thinking of our own needs, we think of the needs of others. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He didn't struggle taking on the form of man. He didn't do that. He humbled himself, right? Humility. And became a man. It tells us in Scripture that what did he do? The sinless thought about the needs of others, the needs of the heart of his Father, and the needs of all humanity. And what did he do? He died for us. And so we're called to a walk of thoughtfulness. Here's why. Because thoughtfulness maintains spiritual unity and peace. In verse 3, it says this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, let's look at this last slide here. How, how often does a lack of humility, gentleness, or patience, or forbearance affect peace and unity? Whenever me gets in the way of we, we have problems, right? So we're supposed to walk in thoughtfulness. And, and it goes on to explain it. Here's why. Because it visualizes biblical unity and God's supremacy. In verses 4 through 6, it says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Remember what it said about Jesus Christ and his supremacy? What's under Jesus' feet? Everything is under his feet. That's what we learned in Ephesians, right? And so all of a sudden, this, this worthy walk of thoughtfulness helps us visualize this idea of biblical unity. And we're saying, remember we talked about how we build walls and Jesus Christ destroyed walls? He destroyed the wall of hostility? All of a sudden, we say, we want to reflect what we see, especially in the Trinity. Think about that. Think of the unity in the Trinity. Have you ever read in Scripture somewhere where the Trinity wasn't getting along? You know? Jesus was upset with the Holy Spirit, so he left him by the curb. You know? Is there a period in Scripture where all of a sudden that God is giving Jesus the silent treatment? No. See, we're going to reflect the holiness of God as we learn to walk with thoughtfulness with each other. But we have to set aside the spirit of entitlement and we have to walk 
towards a spirit of selflessness because that's what ultimately gives God the glory. It, it helps us visualize this. We walk worthy secondly because walking worthy is an opportunity. But grace was given to each of you, each one of us, according to the measure of God's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, if you remember the last chapter, we find out that one of the things that grace does is it gives us this ability to have a ministry one to each other. There's an opportunity that's here. First, he sets us free, so we're no longer a slave, right? And then he says, will you be my servant? Will you serve me in my kingdom? A lot of people say, you know, I don't want, I'm, I'm excited, God. I, I want the no slave part. <laughs> but then I want to do what I want to do. And they don't buy into the, I'm a servant part. They, they, they like the idea of this eternal relationship, but they, they don't want to work on it. You know, some people like being married, but they don't want to work on it. Do you know those people? No? I was recently somewhere where somebody was speaking of a word I would never, ever, ever speak of my wife. I think they said, yeah, the old ball and chain. And I'm like, my goodness gracious. Marriage is something you have to work on. And this relationship with the Lord is an opportunity that he gives us. Because not only did he save us, but he did something special inside each one of you so that he gives us this ability to have unique talents and abilities that can build the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, his church. As we take a look at this idea, he says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastor teachers gave them opportunities. I stand before you not because I'm brilliant, but because I'm called to do what I do. And yet, I can't be the body of Christ for all of you. I can be a part of the body of Christ for you. And we need each other. There is a unique way that we minister to each other and he's given us each different abilities. He goes on and says this. He says, there were two reasons that we were given these abilities. The first is to equip the saints for works of ministry. Okay? It's not to do the ministry for you. It's to do the ministry with you. It's a partnership that God gives us. It's something that we do together. Lynn's celebration of life was so special because we all worked together for it. We all used our unique talents and abilities, and we made it incredibly special because we worked at it together. From the simplest tasks of making sure there was more than enough chairs in this room 
to people that sometimes are near the fringe of the of our body but gave themselves so beautifully like your husband did to hosting the party he kind of took over down there and made sure everything went well and it was wonderful It goes on and it says this about opportunity. It says, this is the image that that Paul has. You know, he visualized unity and peace. Now he imagines unity and like-mindedness and Christ-like maturity and fullness. He says this, until we all attain to the unity of faith, okay, and of the knowledge of, of the Son of God. You know, one of the things that's hard in the body of Christ is sometimes we have to go, you know, um, when you say that about Jesus, that isn't true of Jesus. Because this is what the Bible says about Jesus, and what you're saying doesn't reflect that. One of the things that I try very hard not to say anymore in any of my prayers is, dear God, please be with us. Because that doesn't reflect the knowledge of the truth of God's word. Why? Because God is everywhere. And so all of a sudden, he's not like going, oh, so thank you so much for letting me come. Because he's already there. To the full, to a, a mature manhood, to, we're, we're supposed to help each other so that we can be comp- mature, and I like what James says, mature and complete and not lack anything. That's why we walk alongside of it. To a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Remember, that was in the benediction at the end of chapter 3. He, he wanted him filled to the fullness of Christ. You know, once in a while, we need to look at each other and say, I think you're satisfied with 65%. I, I think you think God's grading on a curve today and there's pass-fail in this, but God wants more for you. Have you ever had God tell you that? Have you ever thought, okay, I'm, I'm doing good, I had enough, and then God kind of sits you down and go, I'd like to give you a little bit more. <laughs> I, I'd like to be a little more involved. I, I'd like to be more in your life. And you're like, well, you know, I'm okay with 65%, you know, because I need my me time, right? He wants us filled with the fullness so there's opportunity, and it imagines unity, and it imagines a like-minded understanding and a, a Christ-like maturity and a fullness, but it imagines more than that. It imagines biblical confidence so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful places. See, there's an opportunity to help each other be strong and confident in our faith. But we got to help each other out. Occasionally, I will sit down with somebody, and they'll explain to me some of the things they're thinking. And I don't want to be the one that has to say this, but I have to say this. You know, those ideas aren't biblical. Uh, You probably heard that on Ellen or Oprah. But I'm not sure you ever heard that from God's Word. Because that's not in God's Word. That's an interesting idea, but you're going to be disappointed in it. But instead, we can be biblically confident. Isn't that neat? The mature man, you know? 
I can remember when I was a young youth pastor, all of a sudden I had some of my students going away to Bible school. And when they came back, I was afraid that one of them would finally sit me down and go, Jim, you know, I was studying theology today and I've decided that you're a heretic. <laughs> you were being a little sloppy in how you were teaching the word of God there. I, I want to have biblical confidence, don't you? That's what he imagined that would be true of this opportunity. If we walk together, all of a sudden, there's this opportunity that we can be biblically confident. It, it, it's, it's a move, though. It's like the other move that we talked about. It's a move from, from being earthly-driven to building your kingdom here to taking the opportunity to be kingdom-minded and building God's kingdom that will last forever. And it's really hard. Because on Friday, I had to trim trees. And I had to rake the yard. You know? And there's a couple things around the house that I need to pull out tools for and fix. And we want to expand that garden and all those kinds of things. And we get so caught up in all the opportunities that are earthly that sometimes we forget that God, because of his grace, has opportunities for us that are heavenly. Walking worthy is honest. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Now, there's two kinds of people, aren't there? There's some kinds of people that speak the truth. They're so honest that they're not gracious, right? And there's other people that are so gracious that they're never honest. And God is telling us that the worthy walk is one that will tell the truth. Think about the things that he's already said about this. If somebody's not going to tell the truth and speak the truth in love, what are we going to do? How are we going to equip each other? How are we going to build God's church? If somebody occasionally doesn't say, no, that's not right. How are you going to do that? Because see, spiritual blindness, you know, we've talked about this before. Spiritual blindness is so scary. Physical blindness you figure out because you run into a wall. And you go, man, I guess I'm not seeing real well, right? Spiritual blindness is a del de delusion. And occasionally we need somebody to speak the truth and love to us, don't we? Say, no, that's not right. Here's what he says about this honesty. He says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So honesty nurtures maturity, okay? You need it to become mature. Think of some of the people in your life. I, I think of my father-in-law. He was too honest to be gracious. Um, but he was willing to be honest because he wanted me to grow. Okay? And it says that we need this honesty so that we can be connected together. You know, I think that one of the reasons we need this honesty is, is sometimes we need to tell each other. And, you know, brother, you've been standing on the side, and you need to come to the middle. You know? You're a spectator, but, 
but you haven't bought in. You're a renter, but you're not an owner. You need to buy in to what God wants for you. Occasionally, have you ever noticed that occasionally, without meaning to, we hurt each other? Have you noticed that? If we're not honest with one another about things like that, we never can overcome it. And instead of living this life of unity that God wants us without realizing we're just building more walls, aren't we? But God has called us to unity, hasn't he? To connectedness, to an interconnectedness, and that requires honesty. He goes on and says this about it. It says, when each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so it says, you know, honesty is required so that the body can work properly. How many of you remember trying to teach a child to drive? Right? Scary thought. I remember learning to drive myself. I remember the level of honesty my father had to give me so that I would learn this skill. I still remember crossing the railroad tracks without looking both ways and him about causing me to die. I cross over those tracks and he is right in my ear and as loud as he can, he goes, boom! You just killed the whole family. You didn't look both ways. I did you know, drive down to grandma's house. I'm white as a sheet. I'm shaking. <laughs> but every railroad track I come to today, I hear this, boom! <laughs> and I look both ways. I, I hurt for some of you in the body that see those little details of things that the rest of the body, for the most part, never notices but you know that they're necessary. And we need to make those changes so we can do things in an honorable way that please God with all of our hearts. And I know it's hard sometimes to speak up because you feel like you're just being the whiner in the body of Christ, but God has called us to a, a walking worthy and a part of walking worthy is a willingness to be honest about what we see and what we're concerned about it's a part of that experience and we have to do it you see the problem here is over here we have loving truth but over here we have self-preservation well i i, I, I don't want to be a bother i don't Maybe I'm the only one that sees it. Maybe it's not that big a deal. Uh, maybe <laughs> I don't want <sighs> I just want to be loving. I don't want to be truthful. But God is calling us over here. So sometimes even say hard things. Because they are what make the body come together in a way that it couldn't otherwise. And it's part of what builds us up. It makes us who we're supposed to be. But it's hard. 
And it's hard out there. You know, it's hard out there. It's hard on Monday when you go to work, isn't it? And so the idea of it having to be hard in here, come on, God. This is supposed to be a safe spot. And yet, because of the great grace, this immense grace that we receive, God is calling us to be honest with each other so we can be what? Perfect and complete and not lacking anything. And yet, because we're afraid, we're so willing to leave just a little mayo on somebody's face because we wouldn't want to offend them by telling them we had they had mayo there. We don't want to sound critical. We don't want to tell them about the piece of lettuce between their teeth. But you've all had that experience before. You know, somebody's got lettuce between their teeth and you're trying really hard to look them in the eye. But all you can do is look them in the lettuce. you wish they had loved you enough at that moment to be truth i know it's a silly little illustration but every one of us needs that because we can't see that we're blind and that we're compensating and we're not doing it right walking worthy requires honesty so here's a summary walking worthy is about thoughtfulness It's about opportunity, and it's about honesty. Therefore, since this grace is so immense that we receive, let's walk it out. Let's figure it out. I know it's hard. I was trying to learn how to golf. I got a cousin that's a par golfer. He took me golfing. He gave me new, two to three new ideas on every hole. By hole six, I couldn't even hit the stinking ball. (laughs) I didn't know my body could be doing that many different things at the same time. Hold this arm straight and turn this arm a certain way. Oh, you need to bend a little more in the knees. Um, You got to look, you're looking up. You're looking up. That's why you're, you're topping the ball. You know, I'm just, and I am just, I am a wreck. But I didn't see it through. So, Ray, we can't go golfing. Putt, putt. This is a lot more important than golf, people. This is our life in Christ. God is calling us to be engaged in it, to be thoughtful. To, to see the fact that he called us in the body to be a part, a unique part of the body that can do with only things that we can do. I was blown away. Lynn's always been such a quiet soul. But she's a quiet soul with 250 to 300 different people. And all of a sudden, they all came into the room, and she was an important part of several bodies, wasn't she? Don't say you're not important. Walk worthy. Take opportunity. Be honest. 
Because that's what God called us to. He didn't call us just to spend eternity with him. He called us to work together to enjoy eternity starting now. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that each one of us would seek out those opportunities that you've uniquely given us. I pray that we would have the courage to be honest with each other so that we can grow each other in our faith. I pray, God, that you would push us from the selfishness that says, I can't do this, I don't want to be a part to experiencing the blessedness of the Beatitudes of learning humility and being a peacemaker and being poor in spirit. I pray that as we have a clearer picture of your grace, it will help us walk better. I pray all of us would be on the move. That grace would be the thing that would keep us moving. So God, I pray for people in this room today and I pray for some of the people that are stuck because of some part of this worthy walk that's become hard for them. A critical spirit. A feeling of unworthiness. The cares of this world that are tossing them to and fro like a child. The sting of honesty without love or love that doesn't want to be honest. God, help us to have a grace that's on the move. We pray this in your name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says this. That grace is what saves us by faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. You can't walk out grace if you've never received grace. If you have not started a relationship with Jesus Christ, you haven't asked him to be your savior and to forgive your sin, then that's where you've got to begin. If you're, that's where you're at today and you need more information or someone to talk to, please see me. So that you can begin that walk of grace. For the rest of us, it's time to continue the hard walk. It's been a long winter. Sometimes we feel like we're just trudging through it, but we got to keep moving. We can't stop moving. We have to walk worthy. Let's stand together and sing one song as we close.